0: Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, My goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions, and I'm here to go on this journey with you, so let's do it together. When I meet somebody and they tell me they're not an anxious person, it always baffles me because I I don't think I can understand what it's like to live without some sort of anxiety and worry. and. It can be quite stifling for so many of us. If you're one of the people that doesn't live with anxiety, then that's amazing. And I, I, you know, I wish I knew what your secret is. But the reality is most of us have some sort of anxiety or worry. There's also something called high functioning anxiety. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of this because I feel like many of the women of our generation are really high functioning with anxiety. And and what does that mean? We are dealing with hormonal fluctuations, we are dealing with huge life changes that trigger that anxiety. Um, there, There are just so many reasons for it. And we don't have to suffer with it. Today, I have Georgie Collinson on the show to explain this more and tell you what you need to do to resolve this in your life. Georgie Collinson is an anxiety mindset coach, naturopath, and nutritionist helping busy women to achieve balance in mind, body, and business. As a recovering perfectionist and proud high achiever boy, I don't know anything about that. Georgie was once the prime example of high-functioning anxiety. Searching for answers, she finally discovered a lasting breakthrough for herself and clients with a holistic mind-body approach that considers anxiety and stress from the thoughts you think, the food you eat, your gut health, your hormones, and lifestyle. This developed into an online group program like Reset Your Anxious Mind in 90 Days and the bespoke one-to-one coaching program Balance with Georgie Collinson. Originally from Melbourne, Australia, Georgie spends much of her time by the beach on the Mornington Peninsula where she is running online group programs producing the Anxiety Reset podcast and working privately with clients around the world. Earlier this year, she hosted her first retreat in Byron Bay and is currently writing her first book, A Manual Outlining Her Mind, Body, and Soul Approach for Women with High-Functioning Anxiety. Georgie's mission is to be an example to women that life doesn't have to be this way. There is so much confidence, flow, and balance available to you in your life without the need to sacrifice your goals. Georgie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. So I just want all of you listeners to understand that um, it's 8 o'clock at night on the East Coast. It's uh, Georgie's in Australia. What time is it there? It's 10 a.m. It's 10 a.m. And Adi, who is my producer engineer, is in Romania, and it's 2 a.m. there. So... Besides Georgie with a nice, fresh um, <laughs> perspective on everything today, I might be a little foggy. And let's hope that the recording goes well for Adi over there in Romania. But I was so excited to get you on the show today because high-functioning anxiety is something I never really knew existed until you popped up on in my Instagram feed. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot about generalized anxiety, definitely have that, you know, and I know a lot of people that do... But when I saw high functioning anxiety, I was like, "Ooh, ooh, I have that. I have that. <laughs> That's what I have." <laughs> so, and I, and I don't think that that is unusual for a lot of women of my generation. And listen, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it continues down the generations. But a lot of us, you know, we're, we're kind of told to be all, do all, you know, hide our feelings, be successful in every every area of our lives and toughen up and do the work. And I think at this point of our lives, we're starting to realize... Uh-uh, that's not working for me anymore. Like I can't continue to live like this. So, my first question for for those listeners that don't know what this is, what is high functioning anxiety?
1: I love that you've asked that question and I I have to say I've just been nodding along like as though people can see me as you've been talking <laughs> I'm like, and like you yes, do that all the time. Yes. <laughs> so, look, this is the thing. It is essentially where from the outside you look like you've got it all together. And you know that like, there's a part of you that's aware that to all outsiders, you look like you've got it going with your career, with your family, with the way that you present yourself. You still manage to maybe make sure that you look nice when you leave the house. Um, But essentially on the inside, it's a very different story. So, inside there's this sense of pressure, this need to please other people. We're afraid of losing friends, needing reassurance from other people, putting other people's needs first, uh, feeling like you've got these perfectionist tendencies as well. So, uh, always (laughs) 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 always needing to be more, always needing to have done more. You know, it's like that That real discomfort when the routine's been disrupted, like you've missed a gym class and it's just like, (gasps) I've failed this week, you know, I've failed my routine, just feeling like, you know, there's obviously different severities of this and intensities of it. But um, I think we all know that feeling where we're just not coping well when plans change and it doesn't all line up perfectly the way we want it to. Basically, it comes down to control. And wanting Mm. to control the ultimately uncontrollable, which is this crazy life we're living.
0: (laughs) Yeah, wow, wow. You really spoke a lot to me there. (laughs) And I'm sure to so many women. You know, I mentioned a couple of things, but of course I'm not the expert. What turns a person into a high-functioning, anxious person? I mean, what does it come down to?
1: I think there are a couple of factors at play. It's one of those things where it's never all or nothing. But definitely, if we look back at childhood and our parents or our authority figures growing up, there's almost always a correlation with someone whose approval, ultimately, we are seeking. And that can mean, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, you know, my parents were very loving and supportive and and that's great. And that can definitely happen. But there can be these more subtle things that start to we pick up as children like we are just so there's no filter we just think that when something happens we think it's our fault Um, there's no ability to kind of see that higher perspective and see it the way that we would see things as an adult so an example of this in my personal life was you know my dad was inconsistently around because he worked really hard and even though I knew he loved me he was the parent that was harder to get the attention from. And he was the one that, you know, my mom was just like all love and hugs and just great. And so, my dad was the one where it was like, oh, like I need to work a bit harder for this. I need to like do something to get dad's attention. And subtly, you know, what I picked up were certain cues or certain things that, my dad was impressed by such as success and in career and academia and those kind of things and so suddenly i started to realize oh those are the things that get that attention and It's interesting that, you know, that carried through and sometimes still tries to pop up in my life even now because it's so deeply ingrained, that programming we pick up. But then, of course, you know, where did my dad get that from? It comes from a deep rhetoric in society that money and a certain way of appearing and all of these things, we know what these messages are in society, right, of what you know, a perfect life looks like. And so there's definitely a combination and an interplay there where we get these messages from society and also often from our parents growing up. And then where did they get those messages from is the next question.
0: Well, and I also think it's so interesting because, you know, I've talked about this on other shows and it's what I mentioned before. We, We were, you know, our parents were taught that you don't really show your emotions. You know, you don't show when you feel defeated. You dress yourself, you look the part, and you make it work. And, you know, while, you know, we're trying to change a little bit, there's still some of that that has gotten passed down to us as well. And one of the things that I we talked about in our pre-interview was, um, I know you're you're younger, 30, did you say you are? I'm just 10, 30. Yeah. yeah, happy birthday. You know, one of the things about your 40s that's so great is all of those things I know that for me it was an awakening and I know that for my listeners all of a sudden they're like wait a minute I don't want to be like this anymore I don't I don't want to be that person but I've only ever known this person but it's the first time in your life that you can say hey, okay, it's time to make these changes. You know, of course, how, which we will get into in a little bit. But there is some, there is some relief in getting older and not caring as much about what people think anymore and and making these changes. So, but you, by the way, you just described not only me, but you also described my childhood. So that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a similar experience with my dad. And in fact, you know, my dad is a big fan of my podcast and uh, that makes me feel satisfied. So anyway, um, so tell me, how do we change our ways? And if I'm skipping ahead and you have something more to add before that, please do. Well,
1: one thing I will say is what's interesting is this idea of like, oh, I've lived this way for so long. It's so hard to change. And yet, we are always changing. And it's so funny, this idea of like your identity and who you are, because we kind of think that it's fixed. We sort of think, well, I'm, I'm not the person that follows through with things, or I'm always the late person, or, you know, there's certain things we start to pick up on that we just decide are us. It's so funny because all it is, is like maybe you were late once and then someone said you were a late person and then you just started to repeat that behavior, but it's not who you are. And I think that it's really important through our lives that we challenge this idea of who we actually are and start to play with the malleable nature of our identity. And we can do this in little ways. So, this is is linking back to how we start to change, but I think first we have to realize that we can change and that one way that i have found to be really really helpful and just simple and straightforward with this although confronting for a lot of people is cold water therapy and what I'm talking about here is having 30 seconds of cold water at the end of your shower. You can have it at the end of a hot shower or you can just go straight into cold. And not only are there a whole lot of benefits for our bodies uh, doing this in our physical health, we can strengthen our immune system. We uh, we actually are calming our nervous system as well where we're, we're Um, improving our resilience to stress. We're promoting blood circulation, getting the blood moving all the way around your body and up to your brain as well. um, So, you have more energy. It's got all these amazing benefits. But the thing that I love the most is I, I started doing this about two years ago as something that would encourage me to kind of step outside the box. I just wanted to challenge myself and see, could I be the person, the girl that gets into the cold shower? Because I love the warmth. I love tropical weather. I love hot baths. And it was just one of those amazing experiences to do that and kind of realize, cool, I can do this. And and doing it every day, every morning, you start to realize that You can do something uncomfortable. You can be someone you didn't think you can be. And if you can do that with cold water, which is a polarizing kind of idea for a lot of people, it's either people are just like, oh my God, this is cool. I want to do this. Or they think, hell no. But when you do it and you see that you can be someone you didn't think you could be,
0: what else is possible? How long do you do that for? About 30 seconds. Oh, I can do that. I usually do that for my hair. So I I can... To not that yeah. long but yeah
1: and the thing is once that like initial sting has finished and you kind of like it's it's only about 20 or 30 seconds of the discomfort and then you're kind of okay so it, it you actually feel amazing and you get this rush of endorphins i often feel like i want to giggle And so, it puts this smile on my face, which you know I look like maybe a bit of a maniac, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a really great way to start the day. And so, it just starts to challenge this idea. And so, then we realize, hey, if I can go my whole life liking hot showers and then I can just kind of get to this place where I'm okay with a cold shower and I can do that and I can be that person, can I maybe also... Do I maybe not have to be the the high-strung person, the person that needs everything to go to plan all the time, uh, that needs to control everything? Can I maybe learn to soften and be that, that more flexible, accepting kind of person um, and find that peace? And the thing is, we absolutely all can.
0: I want to just go back to something that you said, which I think is so important for um, my listeners that are parents. You said that if you say to somebody, you're something, and and then they take on that role, I see that often. Sometimes, you know, and I do it and my husband will do it. We'll joke with our kids. We'll be like, don't be lazy or, you know, oh, my God, haha. And it's like a joke in the family that, you know, one of our kids is more lazier than that, whatever. They do start to take that on. And I've actually recently kind of looked at my husband and said, don't say that because they'll act the part and they'll think that that's their role you know, that will forever be their label that they carry with them. So I, it's just, I don't know, something that I, I recently started to notice as my kids get older, that um, that they're starting to take on those, you know, whatever it is that we joke about, but but using those as like, well, this is who I am, and I'm not going um, so I, totally. I, I to change. So I just wanted to bring that up for the the parents out there.
1: Yeah. And that's a really, really good point. You know, I was always labeled the lazy one and mm-hmm. I totally took that on and believed that that was true. And, um, it's so, it's so fascinating. I think there's an element to it that is natural, right? Cause we are tribal beings. So we're going to kind of go, what's your role in the tribe, in the, in the group. And we kind of do that as, uh, as a natural thing. But, um, I think it's, it is beautiful to still maybe say you're this and you're this and you're that. So maybe you're lazy and you're also Really organized and productive too. Like we can we can kind of see ourselves as the and rather than the either or. So going back to the how, how do we change all of this? Well, I honestly think the biggest part is changing our, our identity into that place of no longer saying I'm an anxious person, no longer saying like I, I have anxiety all the time. And just like, again, you're, you're feeding into that role and you're, you're solidifying that identity that you have to be the anxious person. And so when we start to say it differently, like I'm experiencing anxiety right now, I'm feeling anxious right now, rather than I am anxiety, see the difference. It's just like those subtle things with the way we talk about ourselves can be really, really helpful. And then we start to experiment with what's going to work to help give you some space between reacting to life and rather responding and being able to choose your reaction. Cause we, we all have those moments, right? Where, oh gosh, maybe it's the end of a day and you're just exhausted. And then you like smash the, you drop the, the dinner on the floor or something like that. And you're just like, ah, and you just want to scream. Um, in those moments, you know, instead we, we, and we feel out of control, but there are certain ways we can cultivate an ability to look at what happened and go, Oh, this sucks, but there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. There's nothing that my tantrum right now is going to achieve to change what's happened. And, you know, that's really about leaning into acceptance as quickly as you can that you have no control over what's just happened. And if you can accept reality rather than trying to fight against it all the time, trying to deny reality, wishing it hadn't happened, wish it wasn't the same way that it has appeared we can find so much peace there so when something smashes or you know like those kind of moments for me in my life and i notice that i kind of just go ah oh, and i don't have a huge reaction to it i see that as a big win and i see that as this this ability that i'm not the only one that can do that we can all do that and the thing is we've grown up right watching other people in our lives react two things like that that are stressful and you might have your own things like uh, for uh, another example is the airport and flying was always something that I'd watch my mother be stressed about and so the airport and the idea of catching a flight was just something that automatically you had to feel stress around right and it's been really interesting again challenging that experience and going oh what if like I don't have to react to this as a stressful thing and I can just kind of Instead, really use it as a challenge, as a training ground to not get stressed. And that's another way that I've proven to myself that I don't have to copy that behavior and, and take on that identity. So there's a there's a way to create this space and and to be able to respond rather than react. And one key factor, I've actually got a Method that I talk about, it's called the anxiety reset method. And this is where we are looking at how can we build our resilience to these stresses in our lives and not be so easily triggered. And there's nine components to that um, method that make up this shield called the resilience shield. And so we can look at where are the holes in my shield because which of these nine areas am I maybe not. Looking after myself. Um, I'll, I'll see how many I can go through, but the first, like the first and one of the most important ones, is that awareness of thoughts piece and being able to realize you are not your thoughts. And there's a part of you always that can step back and just observe what's going on and observe your thinking and kind of see that there's a part of you that wants to scream at the smashing of the glass. But also being able to watch it and not needing to go with it, not needing to be that thought, not needing to be that emotion in that moment. There's another part of you that you can access. And this is just something you can cultivate through certain mindfulness techniques, like closing your eyes and watching the thoughts, watching the sensations in your body and really strengthening your relationship with that observer. Um, and meditation is another great way. But then, you know, there's there's lots of ways we can then work with our thoughts. So, if you see that you're thinking, certain thoughts like and telling certain stories like the airport is stressful yeah um, that creates that creates stress and so maybe we tell a new story about the airport which is the airport is exciting you know i'm off on a new adventure i'm going somewhere and i i love flying and that makes us full of you know a really calm excited sort of energy rather than the stress
0: I love that you said this because I don't think I ever looked at it that way psychologically, that, you know, you do equate certain situations with the way that either your parents responded or somebody in your life responds. And um, I I I think that's so brilliant because it's and, and I think it's practice, as you were saying, you know, I think I think it's it's learning to, um, change the change of the story of how you look at that and almost challenge yourself to try to look at it differently, which isn't going to come easily the first time. But I love, I love that you said that it really makes you think about all the other things in your life that were portrayed as stressful and, um, you know, don't have to be.
1: Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's not easy it is, a, it is a journey of consistency and just coming back to this um, practice and kind of building this skill. But my God, it's fascinating. Like I just find the whole process of watching that, watching those behaviors, like you just said, that maybe I picked up from my mom or other family members, just the ways that we do things, you know, we all freak out about this thing. It's fascinating. And that kind of curiosity about the whole process keeps me consistent in building that muscle and keeps me coming back for more because I honestly think that self-exploration and looking at the self, I've even had, you know, family members tell me it's self-indulgent and, you know, we need to just like care about other people more, which is so interesting. Mm. But I genuinely don't think there's anything more helpful that we can do for other people in our lives than examine ourselves. and have that awareness.
0: Absolutely. Okay. What is the next wonderful tip you're going to give us?
1: Okay. So the next step on the resilience shield, oh, well, one that I think is probably the most fascinating is uh, looking at our gut health and the way that our uh, digestive system has an impact on our ability to feel good, to feel calm. Um, So in particular, there's a few Mechanisms happening in the body that are linked to our digestive system, but one in particular is our microbiome. So, this um, group of 400 trillion protozoa, fungi, bacteria, viruses, and other little microbes living in our gut that have an impact on our brain chemicals. So when we talk about things like most people have heard of serotonin, most people have heard of, uh, some people have heard of GABA as well, which is our calming uh, neurotransmitter. It it calms the brain down. And the way that the balance of these bugs are living and, and, and thriving in our gut actually sends messages up this neural highway called the vagus nerve which connects our gut to our brain, sends these messages and changes the level of different chemicals in our brain. And so, when we have more favorable species, this process is going to work so much better. Uh, We're going to be more resilient to stresses in our lives. We're going to have better coping mechanisms and we're going to be able to regulate our GABA and our serotonin better. But when we don't, and maybe we've got a, an infection in the gut or some kind of what we call dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of gut bacteria, uh, we can then have this process interrupted and it doesn't work as optimally as it can. There's two other key parts of this. The other one is the inflammation that our gut can regulate in our bodies. And if you have a leaky gut, if anyone's heard of that term before, which is essentially where you've got too much permeability, so little holes forming in the lining of the gut, we start to see that there is a direct correlation with a leaky blood-brain barrier. So, if you have a leaky gut, you also have a leaky blood-brain barrier, meaning that the wall around your brain that protects your brain is also has little holes in it and can be permeated. And so it's basically thinking of your body like this fortress. And if we've got holes in the walls, enemies can attack and we are not as safe as we would like to be. And in the body, this looks like inflammation or some kind of um, change in your immune system and the way that it functions. So this is something that we have lots of control over. And we can really look after the um, the permeability of our gut wall. We can make it stronger. We can close up those holes. And when we do that, we're going to impact our brain as well and reduce inflammation in the body. We can do this with things like bone broth, with uh, certain nutrients like glutamine, C and vitamin A are also really great for helping to uh, heal that gut lining. Probiotics also play their role. And when we do this, we are making it again easier to regulate the chemicals in the brain. When we have a inflamed brain, we are going to, and and I'm talking about this on a very subtle cellular level, this isn't necessarily going to come up on a blood test with really high inflammatory markers, but it's something happening subtly at the cellular level. It actually makes it harder for our brain to produce and release the serotonin uh, that keeps us feeling calm and keeps our mood stable. So, that's another factor to consider there. And the third one, is our vagus nerve, which is that nerve I've mentioned before. It just links our brain to our gut. And this is almost like the on and off switch for anxiety and stress. So when we can trigger the vagus nerve, we literally have this off switch in our bodies that calms us down, moving us out of our stress response, also known as the fight or flight response, back into our rest and digest mode. And there are several ways we can do that as well. One is just eating bitter foods. So, every time you switch on your digestion, you are moving into rest and digest mode. And so, when we eat something bitter, we're producing saliva in our our mouth. And that saliva is step one in the whole digestive process. So, then that starts the digestive system, it wakes it up. It's like turning the key in the ignition. And you cannot be in that stressed mode, in fight or flight mode, when you are producing saliva, when you are in your digestive system, when when your digestive system is working. And so bitter foods like lemon, uh, arugula, rocket, uh, endives, anything like that that gives you – apple cider vinegar is another key one that makes you salivate that is going to have a really profound effect on being able to just switch off that, switch, uh, that stress response in the body. And I think it's so amazing to have these really simple tools around us that we can just weave into our lives. Everyone can squeeze some lemon on their salad or, you know, have a little bit of lemon juice in the morning. It's not a dose-dependent response, meaning you don't need to have a whole glass of lemon juice and that that's better. You can literally lick a lemon. And you're gonna get that response. Or you can think about a lemon right now and you will probably start salivating.
0: You know, there there's so I talk about this a lot on the show, um, gut and nutrition and 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 while it can be very hard, I think there are simple things that really, you know, I, I struggle with a lot of um irritability with, you know, PMDD and perimenopause and anxiety that comes along with that. And you I do think that, that the way that we treat our gut is so important, but also, um, you know, in what we eat. You know, I think everything in moderation, but I do think that there are certain times where we know we may be in a more anxious time. That's when you really actually have to watch what you're eating as opposed to grabbing things that help ease the anxiety temporarily. I don't want to go ahead of, of your list. So, so you can go ahead and say the next part, but I know, I'm, I know as well as gut health, nutrition is a, is a large part of this. Well, I think
1: you've segued perfectly to the nutrition. Oh, good. I I didn't even do that on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) That is another piece of the resilience shield. And I think, um, you know, there are several elements there. Like we can talk about magnesium and zinc and how they assist our body's relaxation processes. But the other key thing, and I think probably the biggest takeaway would be just remembering to eat regular meals, have snacks. I think this whole idea of fasting has really messed with a lot of women's health, unfortunately, even though it's like, I'm so not a fan. I'm not a
0: fan. I'm glad we're in
1: agreement there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because yeah.
0: I can see what I've actually seen what it does to my anxiety. And I I, I also have seen um, the benefits of keeping your blood sugar regular, especially with hormone fluctuations. It's so important. So, I, yes, yes, keep going because that's so true.
1: Absolutely. And so, you know, we do need to be prioritizing just feeding our bodies regular meals to keep that blood sugar stable. And that often starts with breakfast, with that earlier eating time, it start, it sort of sets us up for the rest of the day. And if we are waiting until midday to eat our first meal, we've already, you've just got to think like, use your brain, how much have you already expended in terms of energy by midday, by lunchtime? You know, you've been running around getting things ready for the kids. You've been maybe do it, taking some work calls, maybe maybe in a meeting, like there's so much brain power and your brain is just craving that energy and that's going to just send us into this crash where we are we're running on empty it's like running on your stress hormones actually you're running on adrenaline and cortisol to kick you through that time especially if you're also having a coffee as your breakfast on an empty stomach so that's just like setting yourself up for anxiety in a world where we've already got enough things to be stressed about, enough things to trigger our nervous system into that stress state. So, if we can remember to maybe skip the coffee if you can and also have your breakfast and make sure you're getting a nice balance of fats and proteins there too, you're going to set your blood sugar up for the rest of the day to be more stable, to look after you. Like Even now, if I today leave it too late to eat lunch, I'm going to start to feel that lightheaded, anxious feeling, that sort of sense that, oh, the brain's just not not working as well right now. And I'm starting to feel a little restless, a little bit nervous. And then I eat and you know that it's blood sugar because the second you eat, oh, you're like, oh, I feel totally so much better. You just, it's hard to ex- explain exactly what it is, but you feel calmer. You feel like everything, every cell in your body is just working better. And so, we have the luxury in the modern world where we don't have food scarcity and we can feed ourselves regular meals and give our bodies the opportunity to be nourished every single meal we we choose to eat. And so, why not take advantage of that and really nourish yourself? And yeah, fasting is, it's tempting, but I think it generally works better for males, unfortunately, and this is not about gender stereotypes or anything, but um, we just have different physiology. We have menstrual cycles and we do see impacts on that when there's fasting and when there's carbohydrate restriction. Carbs are another thing, just while we're on that, that, that tell our bodies we are safe. You're safe now. There's enough food. Look at all this glucose coming in. It is a food that signals safety and calm to your body. So there is a reason sometimes we crave carbs and it is just letting our bodies know there's there's enough we're okay we're going to survive and so that's another key element and when we restrict carbs we often see women uh, with irregular periods with
0: low progesterone levels those kind of effects as well i am a big fan of carbs i've really tried to cut it out completely and i i don't it's it just, again, it doesn't work for somebody who needs to keep a level blood sugar. I do think it's good carbs, and I think a lot of people know about that already. But a lot of the diets today, they all want you to cut gluten. They want you to cut grains. They want you to cut all of these things that personally for me, and, and look, everybody is different, but for me, those are the things that keep me more calm. And I've really noticed that, and I think it's about all of you just, you know, you can cut everything out and then add it back in and figure out what it is that you need. And and just because somebody's saying that this diet is what everybody should be doing does not necessarily mean that's for you. I've learned that the hard way. Uh, and mm. and by the way, that's like part of being this high functioning, anxious person with, <laughs> you know, you want, well, why why is not it working? Why isn't it working for me? I'm doing it. I'm doing everything, you know, and, and then just kind yeah. of letting go of that. Yeah. And hey, you're not, you're not just a high functioning anxious person. I know. Person. I know, you're right. As, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, "No, you're not. You're not saying that correctly."
1: You you are that is a an a, an aspect of you that can be expressed at times, but there's also a really chilled version of you in there too, and I'm
0: sure you've met her at times, even maybe after a massage or on holidays. No, I definitely, I definitely can turn it off. I have to, it has to be all the right environment, but I can definitely chill out.
1: So on the food, yes. Like I totally agree. We need to be taking, like, don't take what I'm seeing as like some like I, I always think your body knows the best. And so you've got to experiment for you. So for some people and some, uh, you know, health conditions, going low carb can be really beneficial. It just depends on on what is going on for you. But if you're doing it just because you're just trying to be, say, healthier or lose weight and you're not really thinking about how it's affecting you overall and, and taking in, well, actually, I have no energy now. or Actually, I'm way an- more anxious now. Then, you know, those are the sort of questions we need to be
0: asking and the things we need to think about. The next tip has to do with hormones, which I I speak a lot about and, um, you know, women struggle with in so many ways. And I just, I'm so passionate about the subject because I feel like there's so little knowledge on female hormones. So I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on this.
1: Oh, totally. It can be such a minefield. And I think it's really just like the experience of going through, trying to work out what's happening in your body when you have when you notice and you know there's some kind of like hormonal issue and this can this can be a whole wide range of things but when it comes to our moods and anxiety most commonly yes we have things like PMDD which can be playing a role we can be looking at that kind of often an inflammatory process that's happening in the body but also most commonly what i see is the the, this run-of-the-mill PMS that we all think is totally normal in society, which is like feeling more anxious, feeling more inward focused, more moody, more stressed, more irritable around that, those days leading up to your period. And we all are just told like, that's just being a woman and that's just how life is. Yes. And it so doesn't have to be that way. And there are things that we can do to better manage that time. I think it is there is like a little asterisk here of, well, it is normal to some on some level to just not want to have to see people those days and feeling less social and feeling like you you'd rather just Stay at home on the couch for that time. That can be normal, but it's when you you know when it's really noticeable and it's something that's much more dramatic. And this is usually a sign of a hormone imbalance going on. Majority of the time with PMS, we are looking at at low progesterone levels. And when we support that progesterone, we see an improvement in the symptoms, in the anxiety and the mood swings and the irritability. And so You know, there's a few key ways we can manage this. There's certain herbs we can look at, certain nutritional supplements um, such as magnesium, B6, zinc are all really beneficial. And we can really reduce that drastic dip in, you know, resilience at that time. And I honestly find that one of the most rewarding ones because if we look at that taking out a week of or sometimes two weeks of a month for some women straight from after ovulation, it's like we're in PMS zone and it's Mm, just, you know, everything's hard and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like to be able to reduce that and, and take, uh, you know, reducing it down to just a, uh, just a few days or reducing the severity. It is, life-changing for so many women to be able to do that and, and you're giving them back like a quarter of their life. So I find that one really, really,
0: I'm particularly passionate about it. Well, you know, it's so funny that that you mentioned this. I'm um, tomorrow starting hormone replacement therapy. Um, I'm not meto- near anywhere close to menopause, but a friend of mine who's, who's very much about clean and healthy and this and that, um, she's a little bit older, but she messaged me and said, you know, I I just started hormone replacement therapy and I was very against it, but I had a doctor explain, you know, that, you know, you don't get, you know, it's not just like a, you get cancer and that's done. You know, there, there are ways to prevent that from happening, which I think was the kind of the mentality we had behind us when our parents were younger. But mm-hmm. she, you know, one of the things that she told me is just how calm she is since she's been on the hormones. So it really, like, I, I really don't think women or anybody for that matter understand just how impactful you know hormones are on our minds and how much they affect us and we do kind of laugh it off like oh I'm PMSing but it's it's can be really detrimental to a lot of women yeah
1: absolutely and i and I, again you know i would encourage you to just try all different things that are going to, that that and just see what the effect is on your body and see how your body responds the, the hormones are again another there's not a one size fits all approach there it's it's a, usually a longer journey it's usually several months of working out because we're working with like a cycle most of the time right and so we're looking at is this cycle better is the next cycle better let's tweak a few more things let's look at the next cycle but certainly very rewarding when you can work out what what combination of things work for you. Um, in a general sense for a lot of people, a lot of women, you know, really making sure we're getting the healthy fats in the diet is quite key and something that a lot of people miss because we think that we don't want to have too much olive oil on our, on our, you know, vegetables or on our salad. But, um, you know, you can have a generous serving of olive oil. You can have uh, a quarter to half an avocado. Having those nuts and seeds is is really important as well. Coconut can be great, and then looking at the fiber component too, which just through our modern ways of eating. And even if you do eat relatively well, it can still be hard to get that fiber in. I mean, we need as women to be getting about 25 grams of fiber a day and there's only in like a bowl of oats, you're only getting about four grams. And we think that that's like, oh, I've hit all my fiber for the day because
0: of oats because they're high in fiber, but not necessarily. Okay. So uh, stimulants and alcohol. Before you touch on this, I have to tell you something. I, um, you know, this past summer went on an antidepressant for the first time, like full disclosure, I don't hide that from my listeners. And after a while of being on it, the one thing I noticed is that my anxiety had calmed down a lot. And I didn't find, I I didn't realize how much I would grab food and alcohol to ease my anxiety in the past. And And I'm not talking like, you know, ridiculous amounts of food or alcohol, but it was definitely a coping mechanism for me, which does cause, you know, does give you a temporary calm, but in the long run makes you feel worse. It taught me to drink alcohol when I want to have a drink, when I love wine, you know, just to have wine, to have wine and not to drink it to soothe my anxiety. So I I know what you're about to say here. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, that's like, honestly, food is one of those really quick ways to, to calm us down. In fact, especially if we're reaching for something like chocolate, there is no other food naturally grown and produced in nature that contains fat and sugar other than human breast milk or dairy products. But, you know, just assuming we're just talking about um, what's, what's, you know, natural in this sense. And I just find that fascinating because what it comes back to is our feeling of connection, ultimate love and connection, which is, you know, being swaddled by mom, um, as a baby, all your needs met. And so that's what we're kind of reverting back to when we reach for comfort foods is that sense of being held, being loved, being supported, um, which I just find fascinating. And it is a very strong desire to do that, to calm us down. Alcohol is this whole, I see alcohol, like an elastic band being stretched out when it comes to trying to calm your anxiety because what we do is we're just like we have a drink or four and we are stretching back this elastic band and just imagine the elastic band is like at its maximum tautness and then the next day that elastic band has to be released. And so, what we're doing is we're sort of temporarily calming ourselves down, but we're also loading this trigger.
0: Um, And the next day, you are going to get anxiety. Or in the middle of the night, which is the worst, that that like wine wake up with the pounding heart.
1: A hundred percent. Yes. And part of why this happens is that the alcohol actually binds to these little receptors on our brain cells that are sitting there waiting for this GABA, the calming chemical to come in and lock and key into that, into that receptor. So the alcohol comes in and it kind of blocks up all those GABA receptors and mimics what GABA does in our brain, but the effect is not really real. It's so temporary. And so when the alcohol has sort of left our system, all of those little uh, receptors are then unblocked and opened up. And so we get that rebound effect where we feel more anxious. Um, And that is just predictable. Like these are ways that we are knowingly making ourselves anxious in society. And how common and normal is it to be drinking alcohol and like for everything? Like, after work drinks, celebrate something. And, and you're so made to feel guilty so if you don't,
0: if you don't oh, have yeah. alcohol. It's just, it's amazing how no matter where you go, because they're, they're, you know, I can't imagine how hard it must be for alcoholics, but like, I will try even with friends, you know, I'll try to like limit alcohol to the weekends and not drink that much. And if I go out during the week, you know, my friends will even give me crap about it. Like, why aren't you drinking? Come on, have one. There's so much pressure. Totally. It's like, let loose, like have fun. It's like the idea of
1: letting your hair down is swigging, you know, a a bottle of wine. And that is... Fine, but we have to know what this is doing to our our bodies. And so, if you're experiencing anxiety, I would really recommend having a a trial period where you really do. You know, in Australia, we do dry July. I don't know if you do like a dry January. Is that on the other? I think we do. Yeah, it like we do. Th- based.
0: Yeah, we do dry January. I, we do. I don't, but other people do. <laughs>
1: I think we do July because it's the middle of winter here. And so it's like, well, it's easier
0: than, you know, yeah. And so you do
1: January. Yeah. So, um, and just seeing, you know, what, what is it like, what's your anxiety like when you actually go like four solid weekends of not and weeks without drinking. And I think that again, it's just that curiosity of experimenting with your body, but I I find it so exciting, Doran, that there are these like real physical choices we can make that are, going to reduce our reactivity to life stresses that we do have control over? Because it's so easy to say, I don't have control. I don't have control when the glass smashes on the floor and I'm tired at the end of the day and I just have my like freak out. But we do have a lot of control. What are the choices that we're making all the time? And can we look at building our resilience with these these different um, things? So, that's alcohol Coffee? Caffeine um, is another one. Uh, I mean, I don't know where you sit with the caffeine thing, Doran, but I, I just generally say to people, again, it's one of those things if you don't know what your body is like functioning without coffee, give it a try and see how you go. And I'm not talking like one day without it. I'm talking about at least two weeks and just seeing how your body functions. How's the anxiety? Are you able to think more clearly? Are you not getting that anxious feeling uh, in the afternoon or in the morning? What? what how, how is your thinking a little bit different? And of course, at the start, you're going to maybe feel a bit more tired. You're going to get headaches um, if you're used to having it every day. But That's why I say at least two weeks to really get to see those effects and most of us too, even when we think it's not having an impact on us in terms of anxiety, it will be having an impact on your sleep quality and how deeply you can rest and regenerate every night and so… That's another factor. Yeah, to so I have true. something to
0: add here. So I, I was never a coffee drinker until I had a little child who didn't sleep until they were about six. And I started to have a cup of coffee a day. And the reason I never drank coffee was because even the smallest amount of caffeine would make me jittery. And I didn't like how it felt. But I got into my one cup a day and then I, at some point many years ago, decided to stop drinking coffee. And from that one cup a day, I had the most excruciating headache for five days straight. And I thought to myself, what am I putting in my body that gives me that t- kind of reaction when I stop it? So for years, I drank one cup of decaf until recently, even, this, even the decaf would give me like a little bit of a buzz in the morning. Um, and then recently, I just stopped drinking it all. And I have to say, for me, you know, and it's different for everybody, that one cup of decaf in the morning actually affected my sleep at night. And I didn't even realize until I stopped drinking it. And now I don't, I mean, I miss the taste of it, but I don't, I don't miss the feeling it gave me. And I think that it, it's it's a good, I mean, I honestly, in, in my opinion, it's like the last thing that anybody wants to give up. Every time you tell someone to cut a coffee, it's like, uh-uh, can't do that. It's not going to happen. Um, but I, I do know. think there's, it, it, even though it's hard... I started to um, steep fresh chai tea with almond milk foamed. I know it's not the same thing, but it gives you that ritual.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need those rituals to kind of make us still feel like we're not missing out because at the end of the day a lot of people will say yeah like it tastes nice and all of that but it's the it's the something warm comforting and if we're having our coffee with milk it's giving us that like really nourishing like connection breast milk experience that I was describing before the, the creamy latte so it's really really interesting and important to have our alternatives you know there's so many alternatives now there's like delicious mushroom medicinal mushroom based blends, you can get roasted dandelion that still have that kind of bitter, you know, coffee like taste. Um, So there's, there are alternatives and there's ways to still get the the ritual going in there. And yeah, that's really powerful story. I'm sure people hear that and kind of go, oh yeah, maybe that's me.
0: (laughs) And I have to tell you, I've tried all of the alternatives. I literally went down a list that uh, there was something in Google that said like, here, are alternatives to coffee. I bought all of them. And uh, tea is about all I could do after doing that. So it's great <laughs> if some of you find that that's you know, the same thing. But for me, it wasn't. So I like the spicy chai that you know just feels rich and it needs to be fresh and it needs to be steep. I've actually posted on my stories. I have this um, steeper from David's tea and it's it's the coolest little device, but it just makes my routine better. So anyway, uh, hopefully those <laughs> delicious alternatives work for one of you, but they did not work for me. All right. Let's talk about sleep as I'm sitting here at 8.56 at night and <laughs> I'm so tired uh-huh. because last night I had a 2 a.m. wake up and I never went back to sleep. So I've been up since um, 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and of course, today I was feeling extra anxious. Yeah. And that's pretty much the the key
1: awareness to have is that when you're sleep deprived, your brain is primed for anxiety. And so, that's not the day to be thinking, oh my God, there's something terribly wrong with me. Look at how much I'm this anxious person. It's like, no, everyone, if we deprive ourselves of sleep and have a broken sleep or, you know, only get those sort of two or three hours uh, here or there in the night, we're all going to feel a little edgy, a little bit more restless the next day. It's kind of like your body knows it hasn't rested properly. And so it kind of goes into this survival mode to, to compensate. It's like, oh, we need to be on higher alert today. And so I think it's probably one of the biggest challenges for young mothers, you know, or or mothers with young children, right? Like navigating those sleepless uh, years But there are obviously things that we can put into place that I think there's always ways we can improve a situation, even if it's not completely ideal, you know, looking at do we need to be adding in the screen time, the blue light um, into the evening? Can we reduce that for two hours before bed? Can we, and and if not, can we put on one of
0: those apps that makes the screen go orange in the evening? Mm -hmm. And blue light glasses. I put them on at eight o'clock at night. I, I start at eight o'clock and I just wear them. I think it's a great, they, 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 it helps a lot.
1: Amazing. Right. And so there's like, yes, there's things we can't control. We can't control our kids waking up in the middle of the night and waking us up and, and doing, and it's just those, those parent things that happen. But what we, I mean, it's occasionally we can, like maybe if there is some kind of, um, behavioral thing going on with the sleep pattern with the child, but I mean, like, you know, it's, it's sometimes just something we have to grit and bear um, and work around as best as we can. But yeah, do we need to also be adding in the blue light? Can we make sure our room's really dark? Can we allow ourselves if we, if possible to wake with some natural light, you know, leaving a crack of the curtains open is a really beautiful way to wake up. So you don't feel so groggy, getting sunlight on your skin and, and around like going outside and being in the sun, or if it's not sunny today, uh, just going for a walk and being out in the daylight is really powerful as well for regulating our sleep cycle and making sure that our body knows, okay, it's daytime now. Cause I think it's so easy to stay indoors when we have these busy lives, when a lot of us have been working from home and, or even if you're just working your, you know, an office job, right? Like it's so easy to not actually see daylight, during the day. And so these are these are other little things we can do to make sure we are regulating our
0: sleep pattern as best as we can. Great. Okay. Meaningful connections. This is so I don't even know what you're about to say, but um I just I just said this to Georgie before the show that I I was having a therapy session tonight and I love my therapist. And you know she really calls me out on my shit, excuse my um language, but she she said, okay Doran, we need to get you some really meaningful relationships with people that bring out your best self and and that really get you and they're your sense of community and that's really missing from your life at the moment because, you know, I have a lot of friends, but they're all in different places and I just moved. And so I want, I'm want i dying to hear what you have to say about this because she's right. She's 100% right. It, it's hard to feel anything but kind of low and, um, you know, not great when you don't have those connections in your life. So speak more on that, please.
1: Oh, totally. And, and it's really also easy to almost get in the habit of having very surface level connections with people. So people say, how are you? I'm good. I'm fine. How are Uh you? And you know, you're not fine. (laughs) Yeah. Just because it's like easier sometimes to say that, and, it, and it's challenging to be vulnerable. It's challenging to open up to people. When we're vulnerable with people, we often experience as well, especially if it's someone that we're just like newly trying that a bit of vulnerability with. We often get this vulnerability hangover later on, where we think, "Oh my god, should I? Did I say too much? Have I overly? Have I overshared? You know that feeling." But the thing is, we do have to be vulnerable with people. If we want to have these meaningful connections and we have to put ourselves on the line of feeling potential shame or sharing our shame even like, Hey, maybe you're at a party and you've really clicked with someone and you just say to them like, Oh my God, you know, I'm really glad I met you tonight. Cause I was really scared. I wasn't going to have anyone that I could talk to, you know, almost admitting that little bit of shame that we might have around not being super confident in a social situation and then that other person is going to see that and just be like oh my god i'm so glad she said that because i'm feeling that too and when we have these moments that is connection but it takes someone you know having that that sort of moment of vulnerability to allow that deeper connection and a, and a little bit of bravery but i would say start with people you know and love and trust uh, cuz feeling like we belong, feeling connected, feeling part of the tribe, part of a community is one of our greatest mental health needs. Just like you were saying, Doran, you notice it when it's lacking and we can do little things with people in our lives that we already have, but it's again, easy to get into the cycle of not having that, that, deeper connection, having just surface level interactions and even with our family members, even with our partners. And so, it's really making the time and effort to do things that might seem a little weird, might seem a little bit cringe, but actually saying, you know, grabbing your, your husband or your partner and saying, Hey, I want to really connect right now. Like let's, let's really talk about how your day was and, and what's going on for you and how are you feeling about things? And just opening up that conversation because day to day we're busy day to day. It's easier to just, you know, Do the stuff that needs to be done and get to bed and go to sleep. But um, if we take the time to really connect, this might look like eye contact. It might look like just reaching out and holding someone's hand or stopping for that hug. We get more of that meaningful connection in our lives and and we can cultivate it that way too. Even if you're not used to being maybe a a very affectionate person, um, these are some things we can do that really have a huge impact.
0: Yes. Yes, it's so true. I mean, I'm I am the person that is obviously if you've listened to my show or anyone else has listened to my show for a long time, I'm I'm pretty um transparent and and talk about you know the way I feel, but I'm like that in real life. I will go up to somebody and be like, God, I really didn't want to come tonight, but I'm so happy I met you just like you said, or, you know, oh, God, I, you know, I don't want to be here or whatever it is, but allowing somebody to feel comfortable that they can be, they can be who they are. And um, yeah. it, it 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 really does calm you down because the the problem in all of this is people who are pretending like everything is great. There's nothing that makes you more anxious than, than being around somebody who, thinks or acts like they have it all together and you know they don't and you just need them to come out and say it um yeah but then you second guess yourself right uh, but but the the good thing to keep in mind is that nobody has it together nobody has it fully together i don't care what they do well exactly
1: say. and it's it's like we almost get this relief when we do hear from a friend that like you know maybe they're maybe they're having some trouble in their relationship or some trouble in their career or or something like that. we start to we we get this little moment of relief like, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not the only one that has these things going on and it's not that we don't we're not happy for them or we we want them to suffer and we want them to struggle. I think it's just that we want to know we want to know not everyone is perfect. And it gives us permission then to not be perfect. And I think this is key to remember when you are on the precipice of sharing something vulnerable with someone and admitting that you're not perfect. Everyone wants to know that you're not perfect. That's actually what makes you endearing and adorable and, you know, shows that you're a real human being that we can connect
0: with. Yes, 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 yes. I love that. And lastly, Time in nature, as a as a person who just moved from Manhattan to just outside of Manhattan, I cannot tell you how meaningful that is. I, I really just hearing birds outside my window, or the, the, uh, the amount of light that floods in my home, or being able to, at the end of the day, take a walk or a hike. Those were all things that were really missing for my life when I lived in the city. Uh, and it was, it, I could not achieve that by going to the park. It just didn't do the same thing. So, so I'd love to hear more on this.
1: Well, this is a thing, right? For some of us, we really do feel, I think most of us really feel that calling towards nature and there's absolutely ways you can do that with city life. As you said, there's parks and there's uh, often we have like nature reserves and things like that, or we can get weekends away in, but for some of us, you know, we may really need to think about could we possibly orchestrate a move out of the city to a, to a different kind of lifestyle um, where we can access nature more of the time because it is just so important. Just inhaling the, the scent of flowers and the leaves and the air has a calming effect on our, on our nervous system. This is measurable. There are literally chemicals that uh, we're inhaling that calm us down. Uh, seeing green Makes us feel calm. So, literally, just looking at something green. And you can definitely do this with city life. We can look at green things as we walk around the neighborhood, as we look at the grass. Um, There's ways we can do this, but. I really encourage, you know, nurturing that connection. And if you feel like you're not a nature person, maybe ask yourself, is that true? Is this just an identity you've taken on? And mm. can you explore that further and, and see if maybe there is something for you in nature? Honestly, Doran, if I'm like feeling like I'm having a hard day and I'm, I'm getting that feeling like I'm just like lost in life right now, which we all can have sometimes, Yeah, I find my go-to place to recover and return to who I truly am and, you know, break through those those identities that are trying to creep in and tell, tell me I'm this and tell me I'm that is just going to nature, sitting still in that space. And you get this sense that you're a part of something much bigger and you get this sense that there's so much more to life than just your little problems. And I think that is part of the magic of it. It's
0: so true. It's so true. I don't I can't believe that. I don't know. I've gone 20 something years. I mean, I've I left the city and went away on weekends. But just to have that in your everyday routine for some of us is really needed. I think it's it's almost necessary. Yeah, this was so, so helpful. And I'm so sorry if I seem really tired. (laughs) I hope, I hope that my interview was as good as it could be. And um, I just I, you know, the first time I talked to you, I just really loved you. And um, I say this in every episode, but but I have to have chemistry with the person that I'm interviewing, no matter what their their specialty is, how many followers they have, whatever it is. I don't care if we don't have the chemistry. I don't want them on the show. And so I just want to thank you for being real and um, for allowing women to be seen and to be able to admit to having some of these flaws that I like to talk about that are part of what makes us beautiful. So Thank you, Georgie. And and tell everybody where they can find you. Um, Feel free to talk about anything that you're doing right now.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Doran. Firstly, I've just got a huge smile on my face because you're an absolute delight. And I really enjoyed this too. Um, So if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Georgie, the naturopath. I also have a podcast, the Anxiety Reset podcast, and really that's kind of the main main thing that's going on for me at the
0: moment. I love your podcast, actually. I've, I've listened to a couple episodes. You're, you're very easy to listen to it. You know, not everybody is. So uh, good, <laughs> good, good job there. Well, thank you. Um, I am going to go to sleep and you are about to start your day. Uh, and um, this this was wonderful. Thank you again for coming on the show. Amazing. Thank you, Darren. Have a good sleep. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast. And please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis.